amen and amen. Uh, so guys, we are um, partway through. Are we halfway through? Not quite. Nearly halfway through. Um, a series that we're calling Connecting the Dots. And um, it's been a series where we're, we're essentially, we are connecting the dots of this book, which we can, looking on the surface, I said this last week, is 66 books written by around 40 authors over possibly around 2,000 years. But actually, ultimately, it's one author, isn't it? It's the Spirit of God. It's God himself who inspired these writers to write one story. And it is not just a set of great principles. It's not just some morals to apply to our life or to our business. You know, you can read this and go, oh, there's some great leadership principles in there. Let's apply those to our life and everything will be good. This is about a relationship. And it's about a relationship of God with humanity. And it's just this opportunity we get each week just to gather around his word uh, and hear his voice and hear him speaking into our souls. And so we are taking seven themes um, over a nine-week period, seven themes that will build to see God uh, building his, his eternal family. And so we're following the theme. And if we oh, shoot back one, is there the, there we go. We're following these themes. So we've got the marriage, the family, the family home, the family rules, access to dad, uh, family rest and family gathering. So you can see how it's, it's building around family and God's progression in that. And I want to encourage you. You may look at that and go, well, my story looks nothing like that. If that's God's story, then, wow, I, I really don't measure up. Can I just encourage you? No story disqualifies you from joining his story. There is no story that is known to man that can disqualify you from God inviting you into his story and saying, come and be a part of it. Come and be a part of what I'm building. Come and be a part of who I am. And so we're looking at each of these seven themes, and we've done marriage, and last week we did the family, and this week we're doing the family home. And each week we're going to take, um, we're going to break it down into three episodes. Said last week, I think David said as well, all great stories come in threes. Without a doubt, Back to the Future, the greatest trilogy of all time. Full stop. There is nothing to be debated in that. Back to the Future is the best trilogy there is. <laughs> and so we are looking at um, three episodes within each of these themes. Episode one, the God who was, where we're going to look at the prophetic picture that Israel is uh, as God works through Israel. And then episode two, the God who is, as, as Christ is the fulfillment of that. And then um, episode three, the God who is to come. This, uh, this, this picture that we have now of what the eternal home will look like, eternity with him, who, the God who was, is, and is to come. So this week, we are going to look at the theme of home. As we look at the big idea of there's no place like home. And I'm hoping we've got a video that can just be played right now as Phil scurries back around with his nice cup of cocoa. Um, if you can just cast your eyes to the screen, that would be fantastic. I'm speaking slowly to give the tech team time. Enjoy. Oh. Yes, I'm ready now. Then close your eyes. And tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's, there's no, no place like home. There's no place like home. Wake up, honey. There's no place like home. 
There's no place to buy phone. There's no Dorothy, Dorothy, dear. It's Aunt Em, darling. Oh, Annie Em, it's you. Yes, darling. Hello there. Anybody home? I, uh, I just dropped by because I heard the little girl got caught in the big... Well, she seems all right now. Yeah, she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought that for a minute she was going to leave us. Oh. But I did leave your Uncle Henry. That's just the trouble. And I tried to get back for days and days. There, there, lie quiet now. You just had a bad dream. Sure. Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? Oh. <laughs> me? <laughs> Hickley? You couldn't forget my face, could you? But it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you, and you... And you, and you were there. Oh, <laughs> But you couldn't have been, could you? Oh, we dream lots of silly things when we... No, Aunt Em. This was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, though. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M., there's no place like home. There's no place like home. When home is as it should be, there's no place like home. If you've got a Bible, we're, we're just going to ground ourselves in John 14. We're going to kind of move around a little bit and then hopefully all things being well, we'll end up back at John 14 at the end. Is that okay? Um, so John 14, this amazing account in John 14, uh, and it's, it's part of what's called the upper room discourse. The upper room is where Jesus has this meal with the, his closest friends, the, the 12 disciples, um, and it, it takes place in John. It's between John 13 and I think 17, um, and just some amazing stuff in there. And I just want to read just seven verses from the beginning of John 14 that says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask right now that um, whatever circumstances we might be, anyone under the sound of my voice right now, who whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you just come and meet us right where we're at. Lord, my... my uh, the crafting of my talk cannot meet everybody in this room right where they're at but when your spirit grabs hold of something it can because you are God so Holy Spirit just come and breathe life in these next few moments speak through your word deep into our hearts in Jesus name Amen Amen Cara and I have moved house twice as a married couple and both times have been a complete disaster anybody moved house and it's gone smoothly Oh, there are two people in the room 
whose house move has gone smoothly. I need to I need to know you for the rest of my life and you can organize our next house move, which we're not going to ever do because I'm never moving house again. Because when we got married, Carl and I had this grand plan that we were going to be uh, getting married and we'd got the house sorted. We put an offer in on our house. It had been accepted. We were going off to our honeymoon. So we got married. We went up. Uh, the flight was from Manchester to the beautiful Greek island of Santorini. And so we had to spend a few days traveling up through Derbyshire and uh, getting the flight from Manchester over to the Greek island. And and everything was sorted. We were going to be there for two weeks. We were going to come home. I was going to be this beautiful um, man with his beautiful wife who was going to carry her across the threshold uh, and into our new family home. That's the picture we had. About four days before coming home, we get a phone call whilst on our honeymoon from our solicitor who said the house has fallen through. I was gutted. This plan we'd got to be newlyweds moving straight into our family home. The house had fallen through. Everything was kind of just in a pile around us. And we got home and we had two choices. The first choice was homelessness, which wasn't really an option. But when you bear in mind what the second option was, it looked really appealing because the next option was going to live with my parents. Now, I love my parents to bits. They are great parents, but uh, uh, homelessness was a, it was a draw. I tell you, it was kind of like, oh, this is a tough one. Flick a coin. Let's see what happens. Um, but in the end, we ended up living for what we hoped would be a few weeks, but ended up being around three months, was it? Three months. And we've done that twice because the second time we moved house, uh, not the same thing, but stuff got delayed and, and we ended up another three months at my parents. But when you're newlyweds, how do I say this politely? Newlyweds living at your parents is a bit of a downer, isn't it? Because there's newlyweds, there's kind of things you want to do and cook meals and I'll lose you, leave it to your mouth. But when you're in your parents' house, it just kind of spoils things somewhat, doesn't it? I think we can all relate. However old we are in the house, just living with your parents when you're brand new married is not really what you want to do. You see, they say that it's one of the most stressful things in your life, moving house. Setting up home rarely goes according to plan and it rarely happens at the speed that we want it to happen at. And it's the same with God's story as he sets up his home. As he establishes his home, it's going to take some time. And it's going to go through some twists and turns. Not how perhaps the people that were involved even today as we're involved in that story. It's not meant to go like this. This is not how it's meant to feel. This is not what's meant to happen. As God builds and establishes his home. And it starts with God who takes this family. And we looked at that last week. He takes this family, uh, the people known as the Israelites, and he promises the father of that nation, a man called Abraham, that he was going to have kids and he was going to have descendants. Uh, Sorry, he was going to have land, kids and land. And from the, the first moment that God promises Abraham these kids, it's around 25 years that from, so he's about 75 when, God, when scholars believe that God first gives him this promise. And then he's around 100 and they're still waiting. If you are waiting for something from God, you are in good company. If you're waiting for God to come through for you on something, you are in really good company. Because he's about 100 and he still has nothing of what God has said to him. And then what actually happens is God has said, I'm also going to give you land for this family that you don't have yet. I'm also going to give you land. He was homeless and childless. And scholars believe that it was around 700 years from when Abraham first received that promise from God. He is long gone. There's other leaders now in charge of Israel. 700 years has passed before the Israelites stepped foot into that land that God has promised them. 
700 years, and it was anything but smooth sailing, as they find themselves as slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, running in fear of their lives, seeing God work miracles, feeling like God had deserted them, every possible kind of emotion. They go on this journey for 40 years in a wilderness, a journey that should have taken them 11 days. Walking at an average pace, the amount of miles that they had to cover from coming out of Egypt to get into that land that God had promised them 11 days, yet it takes them 40 years. Why is that? Why is it that this people that could have journeyed for 11 days end up taking 40 years to get where God has promised them? Well, let me just give you, I just want to explore this for a little bit as, as it helps us understand the episodes that are to come. Exodus 13, we see this guy called Pharaoh and he is the ruler of Egypt and he has caved in he has given up because what's happened is he is ruling over these uh, Israelites and, and Moses turns up and says, you've got to let them go. And he says, I'm not letting them go. And so what God does is he brings 10 plagues from boils to swarms of locusts to the death of their firstborn. By the way, every single one of those plagues undermines a God that Egypt worships. And so what God is saying is, I am God of this people and they are my family and I will take care of them. And whoever it is that you're worshiping is just a little G God, I'm going to reign over. And so he, he proves his sovereignty over Egypt. And, and Pharaoh caves and says, Do you know what? We can't take this anymore. You can let, you, I will let the people go. Moses, take them. We know that he then chases after them. But this is really interesting. In Exodus 13, verse 17, God says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, through, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. They might change their minds if they face some difficulty. They might change their mind. If everything looks easy, if everything looks like, oh, it's an 11-day journey. God's got this sorted. It's going to be the smoothest, most possible, easiest route you could imagine. If they face some struggle in that, they're going to turn around and say, oh, I don't think we like this. Let's go back to slavery. It's funny, isn't it? Followers of Jesus, how we do exactly the same thing today. We wrap it up in some spiritual language, because this is what we do. We go, God, I'm not sure if this is your route, this is your plan for my life, so I'm going to pray. And if you give me a peace about this, oh God, will you give me a peace? Just, just need that peace from you. And if I've got a peace, I know that I can trust you and I can step out. If you give me a peace, God, I just need that peace. If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God says, if. If they have this 11-day journey, if they go straight across what is the easiest route, straight across enemy territory, and they have not learnt to first fully trust me as their God, when they come across something that is opposition, when they come across something that is like war, when they face pain, when it feels like hard work, they'll turn around and go, well, this can't be God's will, because if it was God's will, it would be easy, and we'll turn around and go back to where we've been. Where was the peace when uh, uh, when God called Abraham to leave his family, his home? Where was the peace when God called out from Moses in a burning bush and said, you might be a stuttering man, but I'm going to ask you to go to the leader of the nation that is ruling over my people and ask him if he doesn't mind letting them go. Where was the peace when Joshua sets foot into that land eventually that God had promised them and he comes against this group called the Canaanites that scripture says was a large and fierce people not easily defeated. Where was the peace? Certainly wasn't for the Israelites. See, this, this journey wasn't 11 days because it was far more than just a walk from one place to the next. This was a journey of trusting God. But instead of allowing this wilderness experience to be God's plan to equip them, 
the Israelites started to perceive this wilderness as a punishment and they started to live out of fear rather than faith and so living out of fear they start to murmur and complain God you're not that good you're not being because if you were good this would be really easy God if this was your plan for my life this would be so much easier than it is right now because they're living out of fear not faith they even had the opportunity in Numbers 13 to claim this ground to take this land where God speaks to Moses and he says I want you to choose one man from each tribe 12 tribes that made up Israel and he said to them what I want you to do is take one man and get them to go and spy out the land and so they go into the land and they spy out they even take some luscious fruit from a tree just to show how productive this land is that God has promised them look it's great look at the fruit fantastic let's grab that and then they come back to Moses and they don't say, oh, the fruit's fantastic. Let's just go in there. Let's have it. God's promised us. If you look in Numbers 13, actually, God says, when you choose the men, choose 12 men because I, to go and spy out the land that I have given you. So they've already had word from God that it's their land anyway. So they take the fruit and they come back to Moses and 11 of the 12 men say, not a chance. This can't be God's will for our life because they look really tough and we can't take them. Only one man, Caleb, said, we are able to do this. Come on, let's go and do it. We're able. One out of the 12 all because of their lack of trusting God to say my journey is going to be smooth if I'm going to get to that home that God has called me the journey is going to be easy because God's will gives me a peace and the doors fling wide open thank you Jesus I'm being facetious fast forward 20 years Joshua is now leading this group of people and he sends out two spies into the land sounds like a repetition doesn't it Sounds like, hang on, I've heard something like this before. He sends out two spies into the land, but this time the spies see with the eyes of faith rather than fear, and they come back to Joshua. And in Joshua 2, verse 24, he says, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. See the shift? The shift of perspective? Instead of going, oh, I'm being ruled by fear, instead, now, no, no, I'm going to be ruled by faith. And so we start to see this group make, make their way into this eternal home. And episode one of this story of God building his eternal home is God's kingdom in Israel. God's kingdom being established. His plan to establish an earthly kingdom, a place where God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, a home for his people where they would live under his rule, where he would rule and reign. And it would be a place of complete safety and security for everyone that lived within its boundaries. That was the plan of God. And for this to happen, God says some stuff to the Israelites and says in that book that we use every day for our devotions. I know you're in it every day, just studying God's love in it and, and, and his devotion to you in it in Leviticus. It's that book that we're all in and have got memorized. Leviticus 25, God says, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. That's God's plan. Just follow what I say in, what's, in this, this law called the Torah. Just, just follow that. And this place is going to be so safe. This place is going to be a place where no one sees abuse, where no one goes to bed scared, where no one goes to bed without a roof over them. This will be a place of safety. But sadly, the Israelites were imperfect human beings, just like we're imperfect human beings. And they couldn't 
stick to these laws. And so instead of this family home being a place of peace and security where God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, it became a place of ego, it became a place of selfishness, and it became a place of unrest. And episode one ends with this dark cloud hanging over it where God said, I I, I wanted my home on earth as it is in heaven, but it's anything but. And what happens is, instead of God ruling and reigning, they put men in charge, and then nation after nation start to come and sweep over this people and take control of this home. First the Babylonians, then it's the Persians, then come the Greeks, and then the Romans turn up. And boy, did the Romans turn up you know anything about your history the Romans ruled over this people and they ruled over with a a rod of iron they were a fierce group of people they they knew how to do military if you ever studied the Romans in school they knew how to take on battle they knew how to win battle they knew how to attack people and they knew how to kill people in fact they would they would be willing to spend human life in order to accomplish the goals of their empire or simply the whims of their really truly dangerous leaders whatever it took to build the empire. And so the Romans are in charge at the beginning of what we're going to call episode two. And at the beginning of episode two of this story of God building his home, the Israelites are crying out saying, God, we need this Messiah that we've read about from years before. From what the prophets have written about this Messiah that's going to come, we need him now to come and save us because we're in darkness and we are oppressed and we are struggling. So they would have read verses like Isaiah 61. Who actually Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, reads out this passage. And the people try to throw him off a cliff. We need this Messiah. But hang on, this man, Jesus, who's reading these words, he, he doesn't quite look like we're expecting. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness to the prisoners. Can you imagine reading that and going, I'm in darkness right now and this is about the Messiah. We need him right now to come as a mighty warrior and we need him to sweep across this vicious Roman army with his army and just kill the lot of them. Because we're in darkness and we're feeling brokenhearted. We need this Messiah. We need release. But they didn't realize that this Messiah would first come as a suffering servant standing in the gap for sinful humanity. And so starts episode two. And Jesus changes everything. Can I just tell you, Jesus changes everything. So many people in this room have got a story of Jesus changes everything. And he really does. Jesus changes everything. Because up to this point, God's kingdom has been about a specific people in a specific geographical location. But no longer is it only about the citizens of Israel. No longer is it about Europe. No longer is it about us in Stratford-upon-Avon, a specific group of people in a specific location. Instead, this thing called the kingdom of God is no longer external, but it becomes internal. And Jesus starts to share this message in episode 2, where we see a shift from the kingdom of God in Israel to the kingdom of God in us. And the soil of this promised home becomes the soil of our hearts. As God says, for anyone who surrenders to me, my kingdom will come in them. My spirit will come and live within them. And I will, if you allow me, I will rule and reign over that heart. And my kingdom will start to establish and grow. 
Jesus illustrates this, and I love the stories. I was just speaking to Pat at the start of the service, uh, how Jesus told these stories. Do you know, I could spend my lifetime just studying these stories that Jesus tells. Just love the stories that he tells. And in Matthew 13, there's a story that illustrates this kingdom of God in us, God's home within us. And he says, it's like this seed, and your heart is like a soil, like the soil that was the promised land. It's now the soil of your heart. And this kingdom of God, it gets scattered and these four type of soil that it might land on, these types of soil, you have the hard soil that's on the path that's been compacted as it's been walked down. And then you have this rocky places with shallow soil. And then there's weed and thorn infested soil. And then there's good soil. These four types of soil. And at the end of the parable, just listen to what Jesus says. He says, when anyone hears the news of the kingdom, notice what he's talking about, the kingdom of God. It's this seed that's sown. And its dwelling place now is in our heart. And this kingdom of God, and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. That's the soil that is along the path. And verse 21 says, The seed cast in the gravel, that's in the rocky places with the shallow soil. This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. But then there's no soil of character. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. And then the seed cast in the weeds, that thorn-infested soil. It's the person who hears the kingdom news, but worries, but weeds of worry and illusions of getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes of it. This is sobering, isn't it? Challenging stuff. The seed cast on good earth, on the good soil, is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. See, the good soil is the heart that is wide open to letting God rule and reign over it. This is the kind of heart that God blesses and God nourishes to everyone around it, regardless of your circumstance. That's the good soil that the kingdom of God it lands on and it starts to flourish and it changes our life. It changes the life of those around us regardless of what we're going through. Can we be honest for a minute? We can be honest in church, can't we? That's uh, one of us that's willing to be honest. They say in church that we, we are really good at singing lies. I think we can be honest for a minute, can we? I think this church is quite good at being honest. Um, See, the reality of this episode too is that we, we can think that stuff gets better as the episodes move on. Episode one was the way it was, and episode two, how it is now, and it's, it's an improvement. It's like an improvement plan. God's making it better. And then episode three is just going to be fantastic, which it is. But if we're being honest, if we can just be really brutally honest for a moment, this episode two isn't all it's cracked up to be, is it? This episode two isn't that great. For many, it feels like we're still wandering through a wilderness. And there's pain and there's hurt. Hardly feel like I'm home, God. Or you say you come and you, you make your home in us, but I rarely feel you. I rarely hear you. And there's still a load of rubbish that I have to go through. There's pain, there's opposition, there's hurt. Not much of a home, God, in this episode two. Am I on my own with that? Am I the only one that thinks episode two really? As I look at it, I'm like, it's not that great a home. 
It's like it's like a, a, you watch the, the improvement shows on TV and it's like, that's how it starts. Th that's kind of my life. That home that's crumbling, where every room needs a stat load of work, walls need knocking down. In fact, the whole, in fact, it's like, ho what's the one in America, the, the big show in America where they just knock the houses down? It's like Extreme Makeover Home Edition with Ty Pennington. I love that bloke. He's a good guy. Uh, if you've not seen that, they basically just demolish the whole house and start again. It's like, that's what my life feels like sometimes. Just demolish it and start again. Because it is a bit of a mess. But the reality is this. Episode two is not the end. We see on, on, on uh, The Wizard of Oz. It says that a lot of it was beautiful, but some of it was really bad. It's a great summing up, isn't it? And then it says the end. It's not really the end, though, is it? Because we know their lives carry on beyond that story. Episode two is not the end. Episode two, we're not fully home. See, episode one, God prepared the Israelites for their promised home by taking them on a journey. A journey of trust, a journey of reliance upon him, a journey where doubt would be as big a battle as any other they would face. But for those that pressed on, God would lead them home. And some allowed that journey to be fueled by fear. As they look toward, they, they get this sneaky peek. They sneak in and they see this home. They can, they can get a glimpse, just like we can get a little glimpse of what this final home is going to look like. We get to look at it. They got to look in on it. And they, were, they went, oh, no, 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 not a chance. No way are we going to make that. And they were ruled by fear. And they forfeited their right to take the land. But for those who pressed on in spite of the trials, for those who refused to let fear rule, instead faith became their portion. They kept one foot in front of the other. I'm not even sure if this is the right way, God, but I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. I'm living by faith. Your word says in all your ways acknowledge me and you're going to direct my path. So I'm going to get busy acknowledging you, hoping that your word is true and you're going to direct my path and it's going to lead me home. I'm just going to live by faith, one foot in front of the other. And those that did that, as they wandered in that wilderness, there came a day where they crossed over and stepped into the promised home that God had for them our church that we would be a Joshua generation that we would be a Joshua generation in episode two a generation of people that no matter what the circumstances are going on in our life no matter whether it feels like a wilderness or not we can have the eyes of faith to look on God who is preparing a final home that those that live with faith will end up in that third episode with him and scripture tells us what that's going to be like. And we can, we can, when our faith feels low, we need to go, God, I'm struggling to see because fear is reigning a little bit in my life right now. Just stir up my faith. Let me hear your voice. Let me read your words. And he starts to speak. And this final episode, episode three that God has in store, can I tell you it's not us all floating around on clouds playing harps. If that's your vision of heaven, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed because there ain't no cloud in the world that's going to hold me up. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling, listen to this, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is no longer on earth as it is in heaven. This is now, heaven is now on earth. 
This is now the, the, the what we experience now of heaven somewhere over there and we're down here. That has passed away and heaven and earth become one. And God makes his dwelling with us, not in us, but right with us. <laughs> I'm looking forward to those days. He will dwell with them and will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this description of the final home in episode three. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Isn't that good? Are we looking forward to that? No more pain. People say no pain, no gain. My motto, no pain, no pain. I'm looking forward. I don't embrace pain to get further on in life. I just don't want pain. I can live a lot better when there's no pain. I stub a toe and I just want to shove it under the... You know when you walk... I'll just off a minute. You know when you walk around your bed and you catch it on the corner? Isn't that the worst pain in the world? I'm, just, I'm jumping around and I, I don't know why, but I grab the duvet and I squash it around my foot and I just scream. So I want to live in a place where there's no pain. There's no stubbing your toe on the corner of the bed. If some of you are like, I wish that was the least amount of pain that I would go through. See, there is no place like home when home is as it should be. There's no place like home. And what a home God has in store for those that will trust him, that will have the eyes of faith, that though we may find ourselves in the midst of the wilderness, we can look on that home that is before us and say, yeah, come on, God. You've got it in store. See, episode one is God's kingdom in Israel. Episode two is God's kingdom in us. And episode three is God's kingdom in the New Jerusalem. A picture of complete safety and security. A place that will be forever peaceful and pain-free for all of eternity where it is no longer heaven and earth, but it is heaven and earth. And until that day, we wait. And until that day, we wait with eager anticipation because we live in a foreshadow. And like David said in week one, all shadows, as I stand here now, I can see my shadow. And my shadow is just a really pale imitation of the real thing. Where's John? Let's just, let's just, hi John, how's your shadow? I'm just gonna talk to your shadow for a bit. Doesn't quite have the same effect as standing and talking to me. Shadow in episode two is but a pale imitation of the real thing. And so just like Israel, who had to live trusting God for their home, even though they faced enemies physical and spiritual, we live trusting God even though we face enemies physical and spiritual. Because you see, this is like our life. High-tech little uh, illustrations here. Devin, do you think you're... Uh, Devin, can you grab that and just walk that around the room? This is like our life. Oh, we're going quick. Watch yourself, I don't want anyone grotted. <laughs> this is like our life, you see? And it keeps going, it keeps going. And you look at it and think, well, yeah, but the cable's longer for some than it is for others. No, no, this is our life into it. You can keep going, you can back on yourself, and we've got like 70 meters of cable here. This is our life, but this is our life on earth. In comparison. <laughs> so this is our life, but this is the bit that we get on earth, which scripture tells us is but a vapor. You can keep going, eternity is a long time. And for some in this room, this bit might be like a millimeter longer or a centimeter shorter, but that's our life. Compared to our life, that's our life here on earth. And you're still going, you're done. Unlike eternity, this cable had to come to an end. And this is our life. And we base so much, sorry, you can sit down, thank you. So much of our life we base on this little bit. 
And yet this life goes on and on and on and on. I'm walking around here, it's still going. So, but we based everything on that little white bit over there. God, I'm not sure you love me because that little white bit tells me that it's really tough. And if it wasn't tough, if you loved me, then it wouldn't be this tough. But your life actually goes on. Your life goes on and on and on and on. God proves his faithfulness in that your life will go on and you get to be with him. But so much of what we experience, so much of our definition of who God is, is based on this bit. Which scripture tells us is but a vapor. It is like a morning fog there one minute and gone the next. And yet we base so much of who God is in our experience on this little bit. Isn't it crazy? Until that third episode is established, when God's kingdom will fully come on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus makes it really clear. And we read it at the start of this talk. You're going to face trouble. You are not fully home right now. Not every tear has been wiped away. And you're like, John, I wish you could give us a better message than that. I came this morning and it was just like, I wanted one of those build me up messages. And you're just telling me it's, it's not going to be great until he comes back. Thanks for that. <laughs> wish I'd stayed in bed where at least it was warm. This is what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. I love these words from Jesus. When we look at the fact that we're not home yet, we are not fully home. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is real life stuff from Jesus. Isn't it? Don't let anybody tell you that this book is full of fairy stories that has no relevance in real life. Let not your heart be troubled. I think that's a really, really, really good thing to speak into our generation. Let not your hearts be troubled. All I've got to do is turn on the news for five minutes and my heart starts to be troubled. I start to see what's going on and my heart starts to get troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. So here Jesus is speaking to his closest friends. He's speaking to the disciples and his friends are consumed with trouble. What's happened building up to this point is that um, Jesus has had two confrontations with one of his friends called Peter. And the second confrontation has Jesus basically turned around and said, you're not going to deny me just once or twice, but three times you're going to deny me. And then he has this moment with, uh, with all of them in the room and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Cue Judas who steps up and walks out. And the 12 become 11. By way of some icing on top of the troubled cake, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to go away. And where he's going, they cannot come. So he's referencing the cross. And to the ears of those that are closest to Jesus, this guy they've put their full life in, he's saying, thanks for three years, I'm off and you can't come with me. These disciples are troubled. But Jesus here says, let not your hearts be troubled. When it comes to trouble in this episode too, you know we have a choice. Let not your heart, you have a choice as to whether you let your heart be troubled or not. Choose to not let your heart be troubled. Choose to not let the circumstances you are facing right now give you trouble on the inside. See, the disciples, they are scared. Everything is out of control. So much of our trouble comes when we perceive that we are no longer in control of what is happening. And everything within us wants to make this our perfect home. We want to make what we have right now. Let me establish the perfect, most comfortable home where pain and discomfort is shut behind the front door of my perfect little home. But Jesus reminds us that the way for our hearts to not be troubled is to not keep pain at a distance. If you spend the rest of your lives trying to keep pain away from the perfect home that you're trying to build, which is your life, you are going to be eternally disappointed. 
Because Jesus says, it's not about keeping pain at a distance that will stop your heart being troubled. It's about keeping him really close. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me because I am God. Get close to me because I am the Father and are one. Believe in me. Believe who I am and what I have done for you. And then Jesus goes on to describe this home. Our forever home. And he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus reminds his disciples, when your heart's troubled and you're tempted to make this safe and secure here, this is not your home. You are not home. Church, there's a much bigger story that we're a part of. And Jesus is preparing a place for us. He says it twice in this passage. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. If you ever read anything in Scripture and it says it more than once, you need to take note. Why, why are you repeating that? He's repeating it for emphasis. He's saying, this is really important. Get this. The idea that Jesus is preparing a place for us. The context is these disciples are troubled. For us, it might be we are tempted right now to let our hearts be troubled, but we need to remember that Jesus is preparing a place for us. It's funny, isn't it? When I am consumed with trouble, I rarely give room to that thought. Oh, I give plenty of room to gossip, complaining, moaning, but I rarely give room to this thought. That Jesus is preparing a place in a home that has plenty of room. That Greek word, prepare, really interesting word. Because it has numerous meanings. And I, I think here Jesus is referencing the cross. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That means you can only obtain this place and, and, and have this uh, access to this home the, in the Father's house because of what Jesus has done. That through the cross, he makes the place prepared for you. Because if, if sinful humanity tried to come before a holy God, our faces would melt. It's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, when they open up the thing, it's just get consumed. Factual, historical film that Indiana Jones is. We cannot come near. Sinful man cannot come near a holy God. There is no way in and of myself I can have any one of those rooms. Not a chance. But Jesus says, I'm making a space. I am preparing through the cross. I am, I am closing that gap. I can lead you to a place where you could never lead yourself. I'm making it ready I've prepared a place for you as Jesus hangs on that cross and cries it is finished that is to say I have prepared a place for you I have prepared a place where humanity connect with God but there's another meaning to this word prepare it means to make ready but it also means being in a constant state of readiness that Jesus is, has made that has, has made that place for us because of what he's done on the cross but he is in a constant state of readiness oh when I'm tempted to look at the wilderness around me in my own life and it leads my heart to be troubled we need to be reminded that Jesus is making your home ready and he is in a constant state of readiness that is the reality of episode two that he is paying attention to what is going on in your life constant state of readiness constant state of awareness 
constant state of, ob- of observation. And there's some days I need to hear that and I need to know that. When life is really tough, I need to know that Jesus isn't just sat on his throne with his feet up on a buffet. He is in a constant state of readiness. He is watching over and he is preparing a room through what he's done on the cross. And he is in a constant state of readiness to be with his children for all of eternity. To be with you. Oh, that can give the most troubled of hearts an assurance that these light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I know some of you in this room are hurting. And what you need to see is that Jesus isn't removed from that pain. He isn't waiting for episode three. He is fully engaged in episode two in a constant state of readiness. Church, I'm going to finish. Layla, can you just come up and just just noodle some chords that's a technical term but I just want to I want to just draw something more from this because I, I love the disciples they are so real they are so authentic they are so much more like me than I would like to admit I, I look at things and think oh, I'm so much like Jesus and then I read the disciples and no, no, I'm not am I I'm just like the disciples and Peter uh, Thomas sorry he pipes up and he says Lord we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, you, sorry, you do know him and have seen him. It's funny, isn't it? Thomas, just listen to this. Thomas is so preoccupied with episode three, with his final home, that he misses the point completely. This is like the lawyer. If you were here last week, we looked at the lawyer in Luke 10 who comes to Jesus and says, how do I inherit eternal life? Great question, but completely misses the point. He's speaking to Jesus. It's funny, isn't it? We can so easily miss the point. Just look at how Thomas phrases the question. Lord, we do not know where you are going, full stop. How can we know the way? The way he asks that question assumes something that the where and the way are separate. How can we know where, full stop? What's the way that we're going? But Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It can be so easy to separate that which we find complete in Jesus. That he is the way, and no one comes to the where, the Father, except through him. Oh, Jesus, how do I get this thing called eternal life? How do I make it to this perfect home in episode three? That's just what I need. I I need to be in that place where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, where life is easy. And if we're not careful, eternity becomes the focus. And that perfect home becomes the focus. How do I get there? But church, Jesus says in this moment, eternity is not the focus. Eternity is not the point. For eternity is nothing without him. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the point. Jesus is the one to whom we will go to be with. He is the where and the way. Just listen to the words Jesus says. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to eternity. Take you to that lovely, perfect, seamless home. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He says, I will take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. 
See, the focus of this whole story of God building his eternal home is not that we get that home. It's Jesus. That we get to be close to him. We get to experience his love now. And eternity is all about him. Let me take you to where I am going to be. And you can be with me also. See, what we need to be careful is that Jesus doesn't become a means to an end. That we don't just follow Jesus for all the fringe benefits. Oh, Jesus, if I start following you, then my life is going to get more comfortable. Things will be really good. And then I'll get eternity and I'll get a pain-free existence. And instead of it just being about this little bit, it becomes all about the rest of it and happy days. But if Jesus becomes a means to an end, you're going to be forever disappointed. Because if you come to Jesus and say, now I'm going to have a comfortable life. Now my marriage is going to be great. Now I'm going to have the perfect job. Everything's going to be great. We've just reduced him down to what we can get from him. The story of God's home is about Jesus. Your life is about relationship with him. Not what he can do for you, but him. Because of our relationship with him, he is preparing a place for you, making it ready, and being in a constant state of readiness. Guys, I promise, can I just have five more minutes? I could pre- I, I could, the next thing I'm going to talk about for, t- for two minutes, and then we're going to respond, uh, I could speak another whole sermon on. But he is waiting. Jesus is waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the Father. Say, so now. Now we're going to do it. Now's the time. Now it's going to happen. Because the Father's timing is perfect. And then we'll be with him in our forever home where heaven and earth are one. And we are with the Father. But until that moment, we've not been left alone. Jesus is watching. He is making, uh, he's making it ready. And he is in a constant state of readiness. And if you follow on in John 14, and if I had time to unpack this, I would. But he says, I'm going to give you a helper. He's watching over you and he's not just saying, I'm going to watch over from a distance, but let me give you the helper, the Spirit of God, who is going to come and make home in your heart. He's going to establish a home in your heart so you can follow him and he will speak to you and lead to you. He will be your advocate. He will be counselor. If I could unpack that, it'd be great, but that's for another Sunday. I'll whisper into your heart and I'll start to lead you home. Is it going to be easy? No. Was it an 11-day journey for the Israelites? No. Does it feel like 40 years wandering in the wilderness? Yeah. But I'm in you and I'm helping you. And I will not leave and I will not forsake you. And it's that Spirit of God that makes us different. It's that Spirit of God that even when we're going through the worst moment of the wilderness in this episode two, and we feel like God's home is nowhere near being in my heart, we can still turn to those around us and go, I can help you. Hang on, hang on. Your story looks as worse than mine. How can you help me? Because I've heard him. And I know that he's making a room ready for me. And he's in a constant state of preparedness. And I've got a helper. And I can live beyond my circumstances right now and I can help you and I can love you. Because actually, when I, when I get consumed with him, that it's about Jesus, suddenly I start to his, hear his cry that says, I want all my children to occupy those rooms. Because the question is, he is father to everybody, but are you his child? Oh, my, my circumstances just go out the window when I see someone who doesn't know whether they're his child. I'm not sure God loves me because of how I behave. 
He loves you. Get to know His love. And I, I, I can't live consumed by what goes on in that little white section of the cable of my life. I have to live beyond it. People experience His love. It gives me the strength not just to sit around and live in fear, but to live in faith.